بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حق حمده والصلاة والسلام على محمد رسوله وعبده وعلى آله وأصحابه من بعده السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to the beginning of guidance podcast brought to you by MISC Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. My name is Um Abdullah. Ahlan wa sahlan bikum. Inshallah, I hope everybody is well. Uh, today, inshallah, we are continuing with the last part of the beginning of guidance. Uh, inshallah, we took quite a break, but alhamdulillah, um, the goal now is to finish the book, inshallah, and to try and end with a husnul khatima, with a good ending of the book, so that inshallah we have a complete understanding of what Imam Ghazali has put forward for us to benefit from, inshallah. May Allah have mercy on him, and also with our a commentary from Imam al-Jawi. May Allah also have mercy on him, inshallah. We will start with our intention uh, for seeking knowledge from the great Imam Haddad, rahimahullah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma inni nawaitu ta'alluma wa ta'alim wa tadhakkura wa tadhkir wa nafa' wa intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi wa dua ila al huda wa dalalata ala al khair ibtigha wajhihillahi wa mardatihi wa qurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala amin in our last episode we concluded on a bit of a cliffhanger and we had just said that we're going to read the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, the great Sahabi, the great companion of the Prophet who was sent at the tender age of 17 to go and be the Hakim, the ruler of Yemen. And he went there to Taiz, uh, the city there on the in the western part, and there he was the ruler. And we could spend all day talking about the great Mu'adh ibn Jabal, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, but it suffices for us to know that he is indeed the person to whom the Prophet ﷺ imparted this great hadith that we are about to read, inshallah. So this concludes uh, the final of the second section of the book, which is the sins or the transgressions of the heart. And inshallah, we will endeavor to complete that section in this episode, bi'idhnillah. Ibn al-Mubarak, who is one of the great Gnostics, one of the great Tabi'in, he narrates with his chain of transmission on the authority of a man who said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiallahu anhu, O Mu'adh, tell me a hadith you heard from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, in the uh, sciences of hadith, um, it's possible for somebody not to be mentioned by name. So, Imam Ghazali doesn't mention the name here but scholars after him have actually found out who that man was because in this case if it is that the person is not known they're mubham then it puts a weakness in that chain of transmission um, and causes it to come under some level of scrutiny because we need to know who these hadith were transmitted by al-imam al-jawi has identified him as khalid ibn ma'adan 
and the muhaqqiq of the book so the person who has come through and checked all the manuscripts and everything that has been written before and come through with a, a finalized version of it which uh, he believes to be the most correct version according to his sources and what he's been able to study uh, he's put a footnote here and he says that Khalid ibn Ma'adan ibn Abi Karb al-Kala'i his name was Abu Abdullah and that he was a tabi'i so he was of the successive generations and he was known to be thiqatun which means that he was a reliable and trustworthy narrator and he was of those who was well known for his worship he was originally from Yemen and he stayed in Homs in Syria and he was one of the supervisors of the police force for the Khalifa Yazid ibn Muawiyah and it's also known that he was somebody who performed an abundant amount of tasbih of dhikr of glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that when he passed away in the year 104 hijra that his fingers remained moving as though he was in dhikr subhanallah so that's what's known about him may Allah be pleased with him so he's the one who has narrated this hadith and he says uh, that he said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, O oh Mu'adh, tell me a hadith you heard from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said that Mu'adh wept until I thought that he would not stop. And then he became quiet. And then he said, Mu'adh said, I heard the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say, O oh, Mu'adh, I will tell you a hadith that if you uphold it, it will benefit you. But if you neglect it, you will have no excuse before Allah on the day of judgment. And Imam al-Jawi says there for neglecting it, he's actually put here if you forget it. So there is a difference in meaning there between forgetting something and neglecting it because if you neglect something you might be aware of it but for some reason you get too busy or you get lazy or it just gets put to the back of your mind but it's something that is uh, that you're conscious of that's different to if you actually just plain forget something and uh, Mu'adh says that the Prophet ﷺ said to him, O Mu'adh, indeed Allah has created seven angels before creating the heavens and the earth. Then he created the heavens and he ordained one angel to be the gatekeeper of each of the seven heavens. The recording angels, those that take note of the deeds that the servant has done throughout the day, from the time he wakes in the morning until the time he sleeps in the evening then ascend to the heavens with these good deeds and these deeds possess a light like that of the sun so this is how the prophet is describing the angels their actions and the deeds of the servant then they go up to the heavens and they start with the lowest heaven which is the one that's closest to the earth and then they arrive there at the door and Imam Jawi says that when they get to the door they will find that it is a door with panels of gold and that its locks are made from light and that its keys have the name of Allah the greatest name of Allah on them and then the hadith continues that when their angels reach the lowest heaven, they praise and magnify the deeds. And then the gatekeeper, 
So the angel who's been appointed as the gatekeeper says to the recording angels, strike the owner of these deeds in the face with them. He says, I am the keeper of riba, of backbiting, and my Lord has ordered me to leave or not to take the deeds of somebody who has engaged in backbiting other people and that his deeds will not proceed past me and go on to the next level. And the hadith continues, then the recording angels ascend with another slave's good deeds, praising them and magnifying them and this time making it through that first stage and onto the second level of heaven. The gatekeeper of that level is standing at a door made of steel or white marble and his name is Ruba'ir. This is what Imam Ujawi tells us. And he says, stop and hit the person who is the possessor of these deeds in the face with them. Why? Because he wanted these deeds to be performed or he performed these deeds in order to gain some benefit from the dunya. And the gatekeeping angel says, my Lord has ordered me not to let his deeds get past me for indeed, He used to have pride towards those in whose company he sat. Then the recording angels come with the deeds of another person and this time they are glowing with light from the amount of charity that they've given and the amount of prayer and fasting that they performed and and from an abundance of piety. Deeds that the recording angels are extremely impressed by. So they manage to get past the first and the second level, as Imam Ujawi tells us, and they ascend to the third level. And that door is made from copper, or it is said from steel. And he says here that the tasbih, the dhikr of the inhabitants of that level is Subhan al-hayyilladhi la yamut. And he says that whoever says that gets the same reward as those celestial inhabitants for their repeating that dhikr in abundance. Then the gatekeeping angel says to them, stop and hit this servant in the face because I am the angel of kibr, of arrogance. And he says, my Lord has ordered me not to accept these deeds and not to enable these deeds to get past me for indeed the owner of these deeds used to be arrogant towards others in their gatherings then the recording angels come with the deeds of another person shining and glowing like a star and resounding with the glorification of allah and imam ujawi tells us that this sound that they have is like the rustle or the hum of a bee or the very gentle flapping of the wings of a bird or even the the rustle of the gentle breeze and so they they have this noise which comes from the dhikr from the salah from the song from the hajj from umrah um, of all the deeds that this person used to do and so they managed to get through the third level until they reached the fourth level and that door is said also to be made of copper or Imam Jawi tells us some say it's made from silver and it's shining very very brightly and the dhikr of the people of that or the inhabitants of that level is Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus and he says that whoever says that will get the reward of those celestial inhabitants. Then the gatekeeper of that level says to them, stop 
and strike with these deeds the face, the back, and the belly of the one who did them. He says, I am the watcher over conceit. My Lord has ordered me not to allow his deeds to get past me because when he used to do any deed, conceit would enter into it. So by now you should be seeing how this hadith is actually wrapping up and giving us a conclusion of the sins of the heart that Imam Ghazali has told us about in some detail before in this middle section of the book. Then the recording angels ascend with the deeds of another person, escorting them like a bride to her groom until they reach the fifth level of heaven. And the gatekeeper tells them, stop. He says, strike these deeds in the face and the back of the one who did them and place them on his shoulder. So Imam al-Jawi tells us even that this is where the, uh, the wrap that a person has over the top of their body, where that falls on the shoulder. And he says that this is between the actual point of the shoulder and the neck. And the angel says, I am the angel of envy. And indeed, this person used to study others and watch what they did and of deeds similar to his so out of competition so he'd watch others and note what they were doing so he could compete with them and also he would observe every person who would excel in acts of worship and then envy and speak ill of them and the angel says that my lord commanded me to prevent his actions from getting past me to higher levels and Imam al-Jawi puts an extra note here from what Imam al-Ghazali has said in his book Minhaj al-Abidin where the angel says that I am the angel who is the uh, keeper of hasad of envy and indeed this person used to be envious of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to others from his bounty and he used to be displeased and angry uh, with what Allah had ordered and ordained for others. So again, he's been ordered not to allow that to get passed into the next level of heaven. Then the recording angels come with the deeds of another person, which consist of an abundance of prayer and fasting and charity and hajj and umrah, and that they shine with the light of a complete and full moon. But when they get there, the gatekeeping angel of the sixth level, which has a door of gold or gems, says to them, stop and strike this person in the face with their deeds because he had no mercy on other people and especially of those who the were the servants of Allah who were afflicted with calamity and illness but rather he used to insult them and make fun of them so Imam al-Jawi says that means that the person was happy with the afflictions and the calamities that came upon other people and the angel says that I am the angel of mercy and my Lord has commanded me not to allow these deeds to go past me. Then the angels go further with the deeds of another person, this time getting to the seventh level, to the highest level. And they carry the deeds which consist of prayer and fasting and charity and jihad and scrupulousness. What up? And these deeds hum like a bee and shine with the brightness of the sun. There are 3,000 angels accompanying these deeds. And when they get to the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper says, Stop! Strike with these deeds the face of the one who did them. Strike his limbs with them and lock his heart. Verily, I keep from my Lord all those deeds that were not done for his sake. 
So this is deeds that were done without having the sincerity required to perform them. He says, indeed, this is the angel, he sought by his actions other than Allah, mighty and majestic. He desired esteem among the religious jurists to be mentioned by the scholars and to be famous in the cities. My Lord has ordered me to not allow his deeds past me. Any act not done purely for the sake of Allah alone is just done for show. Allah does not accept the deeds of people who show off. Then the recording angels take the deeds of another person, which is all the acts of ibadah, prayer and charity and fasting and hajj and umrah, and on top of that, good character and the observance of silence. So not speaking about things which don't have benefit and also the a person's abundance of remembrance of Allah Most High. Then the angels of the heavens escort it forward until it breaks through all barriers and veils to Allah mighty and majestic. They stand in front of him and bear witness to these righteous deeds performed sincerely for his sake. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, You record the deeds of my servant and I observe what is in his heart. Verily he did not seek me by this deed. He desired other than me. So my curse is upon him. Then the angels say, Upon him is your curse and ours. And the seven heavens and those who are in them curse him. SubhanAllah. What to do? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Imam Jawi mentions here that what is meant by the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is in the heart of the servant and the fact that he knows that the servant desired and wanted through the performance of these deeds other than him is that a human being can deceive other human beings but they cannot deceive him subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says that I know the unseen and I know what is in the hearts and nothing is hidden from me and nobody can try to make it look like they are doing something uh, for me when in fact they are not because he says my knowledge is all encompassing of everything he says I know what has passed and I know what remains I know what has happened before and I know what is going to happen afterwards I know the secrets and I know what is concealed and he says so how can my servant deceive me through his works indeed he can deceive the creation and those who do not know the unseen but I am the most knowing of the unseen so therefore the person receives the la'an or the curse from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then Mu'ad continues in his narration and he says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, Ya Rasulullah, you are the Messenger of Allah and I am Mu'ad. So Al-Jawi tells us that he means that you being the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means that you have a divine protection from sin. But I'm Mu'ad and I'm not protected. I'm just a normal person. And he says, how can I find escape and salvation from this? So Al-Jawi tells us from these seven uh, sins of the heart which have been mentioned. So, riba, backbiting, fakhr, pride, kibr, arrogance, ujub, conceit, hasad, envy, and then the sum'a and the riya, which is having yourself mentioned amongst people and being ostentatious. And then the Prophet says, Ya Mu'ad, 
iqtadibi. And these are the most important words. So if you didn't take anything from this hadith, then this is what you need to take. Iqtadibi, which means follow me, emulate me, take my path, take my way. I am your qudwa. I am your exemplar. I am your role model. I am the one that you need to look at and try to be like to the absolute maximum extent that you possibly can. And Imam Jawi says what that means is iqtaribi, follow me with yaqeen, with certainty, with the highest level and the highest standard and the highest capability that you have for cultivating and developing in yourself iman, faith. That's how you need to follow the Prophet Not just outwardly in terms of form and action, but inwardly to follow with faith, to follow with absolute certainty that what you are doing is absolutely correct. Why? Because the Prophet was absolutely correct because he is the highest, highest and most beloved and most perfected human being and to understand that in its complete fullness is what it means to follow him with certainty and to know that and he continues by saying even if in your deeds you have some type of deficiency then the prophet now gave him six pieces of advice and he said, Ya Mu'adh, O Mu'adh. And he goes on to say, Hafid ala lisanika min al waqi'ah. He says, Protect your tongue from falling into al waqi'ah, which Al Jawi tells us means al ghiba, backbiting, speaking ill about others. And particularly, as the Prophet ﷺ continues, particularly protected against speaking badly about your brothers, your ikhwan, those who have memorized the Quran specifically, and al-Jawi says, and also about people in general. Then he says, take responsibility for your sins and do not blame your sins on others. Then he says, and... Do not deem yourself innocent by finding fault in other people and do not raise yourself or elevate yourself in rank above others. Do not introduce work done for the sake of this life into your work done for the next life. Do not be arrogant when you sit with others so that they avoid you because of your bad character and do not whisper to someone while someone else is present. Do not be haughty to people, for this can cut you off from the good of this life and the next. And do not tear people to pieces with your tongue, so that on the day of resurrection the dogs of hell will tear you to pieces in the fire. It says here that the Prophet ﷺ quoted from the Quran, That means by those who draw forth. And so he says to Sayyidina Mu'adh, Do you know who these are or what these are and he says may my father and mother be your ransom what are they messenger of Allah and he says they are dogs in hell that draw the flesh from the bones and Mu'adh said may my father and mother be your ransom messenger of Allah he says who is capable of overcoming these characteristics and being safe from them 
and the Prophet said, O Mu'adh, truly it is easy for the one for whom Allah Most High makes it easy. Now there's an extra section which Imam al-Jawi has put in here which is not in the English translation and after that he says it is enough for you that you should love for people what you love for yourself and that you should dislike for them what you dislike for yourself and he says so if it is that you are like that then indeed you are safe from falling into this perilous state of affairs um, and so to love for other people what you love for yourself, Imam Ujawi tells us that that means from the affairs of the Akhirah, the affairs of the next life. Then the narrator of the Hadith ends it by saying, I never saw anyone who used to recite more Quran than Mu'adh on account of this Hadith. Imam Ghazali says, so, O you who aspires to seek knowledge, reflect upon these characteristics. And Imam Ujawi explains that and he said, hold he says, hold fast to your Lord and stick to the door of supplication and beseeching Allah and cry in a portion of the night and cry at either end of the day. The, the crying and the weeping and the pleading of those who supplicate and who beseech their Lord. And he says, for indeed there is no salvation from this affair except through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is no safety from this sea except through his care and looking out for you. So Imam Ujawi says, Fajahid nafsaka. He says, so struggle and strive against yourself to overcome this most scary and terrifying obstacle with the hope that you won't become one of those who is destroyed with those who have become destroyed. Then Imam Ghazali goes on and he says, know that the greatest cause of these evils becoming deeply rooted in the heart is seeking sacred knowledge in order to outdo and compete with others. So if that was the state then, around 900 or 1000 years ago, imagine how it is now with people who are seeking knowledge to outdo each other in uh, hair-splitting matters of Aqidah and hair-splitting matters of Fiqh so that they can be the ones who are known, who are spoken about. They'll be the ones with envy of other scholars who are who they think might be more knowledgeable than them. They'll be the ones who speak poorly of others with arrogance and pride. They'll be the ones who are so amazed uh, by themselves. So it's very important to understand that that certainly was a pitfall for people seeking sacred knowledge. But imagine how it is now in our time with people who are using sacred knowledge for the sake of their career who are using sacred knowledge in the halls of academia and uh, subverting it through the application of foreign frameworks, through alien ideologies, through ways of looking at our deen that are coming from positions which have no roots or no basis or any foundation in our deen. So they come with Marxist theories and they try to pull apart this deen by pulling down the scholars and building for themselves a reputation or a name for being the one who's able to critique this religion of ours, to critique our scholarly tradition and to critique 
uh, the great scholars who have preserved it and maintained it and all those who have passed it on from generation to generation. So imagine the state of affairs that people expose themselves to when they start to engage in this type of practice. It's a very, very dangerous and people need to be aware of that, that this religion is not a career. This religion is not something that you do, that you study objectively for the sake of attaining some type of worldly benefit. And we need to be aware of that, okay? And that's a big issue in itself, but something that, inshallah, if a person has the right state of heart and the right sincerity, they will know that you don't make a living for yourself out of competing, bringing down, critiquing and trying to destroy what this religion is and what it has brought us and inshallah if we hold firm to it where it would take us inshallah. So Imam Ghazali says that the layman is protected from most of these traits, these negative traits which have been mentioned, while the student of jurisprudence is very susceptible to them and may be exposed to utter destruction on account of them. And this is a really important point because the lay people or those who don't have a lot of sacred knowledge but they act on what they know and they do it sincerely, they will actually be most of the inhabitants of paradise because they will be the ones who weren't tested uh, with these very serious trials. Imam Ghazali says to us, so you must consider whether your main priority is to learn how to guard yourself against these destructive vices, occupying yourself with rectifying your heart and building your afterlife. So is that what we're doing when we seek knowledge, any type of knowledge? Or he says to take part in foolish conversation with those who like to do so and seek the type of knowledge that will increase you in arrogance ostentation, envy and conceit until you along with the others are destroyed. Imam Ghazali continues and says know that these three characteristics which he means by that the pride and envy and conceit and arrogance so he's put them all together into the three main fundamentals which we've looked at in our previous classes he says that know that these are among the major diseases of the heart and they have but one seedbed, which is love for this world. And then he quotes, Hub ad-dunya ra'su kulli So the love for this world is the fountainhead or the source of every mistake. And Imam Jawi expands on that and he says, For indeed, that is what casts you into shubuhat, so into doubtful matters, and then into makruhat, into disliked matters, and then into muharramat, into forbidden matters. And he says, just as loving this world is the source of all errors, so disliking this world is the source of every good. Imam Ghazali says though, at the same time, this world is the field that we cultivate for the afterlife. So this is uh, one of his statements, which uh, I often quote, and he says, Adunya mazra'atul akhira. And why is that such an important three words? Because that's what we need to constantly remind ourselves that this dunya is just the place where we try and plant and cultivate our deeds so that we will reap the harvest of those in the next life. And this dunya is nothing more than that. 
And once we have established that realization in ourselves, then we actually become free of a lot of the things that hold us back. And we become free of the traps of ourselves. We become free of attachment to material things, to seeking status amongst people. And we're actually then able to really work and be in this world in the proper sense for what we have been made for. So Imam Ghazali says that whoever takes of this world only as much as he needs to help him towards his afterlife, then it is his cultivated field. But for whoever desires this world only to live in ease and comfort, it will be his ruination. And we know that real rest and ease and comfort are in the next life, not in this one. To conclude the section, Imam Ghazali says that this then represents a small portion of the outward understanding of taqwa, of fear of Allah, and it is the beginning of guidance. So if you have tested yourself regarding it and yourself has complied, that being your lower self, as Imam Ujawi says, the nafsul ammarati bisu, then he says that continue on to study the revival of the religious sciences, ihiyalum ad-din, to learn the method for attaining the inner aspect of fear and consciousness of Allah. He says that when the innermost aspect of your heart becomes infused with the fear of Allah, it is then that the veils between you and your Lord will be lifted. The lights of Gnosis will be revealed to you. The springs of wisdom will burst forth from your heart. The secrets of the heavenly and earthly dominions will be made clear to you and it will be made easy for you by means of these sciences. Okay, so this is the sciences of the heart to dismiss with disdain those contemporary branches of harmful knowledge of which there was not even a mention in the time of the companions and the successors. May Allah be pleased with them all. And so by that, he means that there are certain types of knowledge um, which had been developed in the later centuries which people had fallen into in a way that ceased to benefit them. So when people start to use these other fields such as fiqh and nahu and uh, aqidah and these other um, fields which developed uh, through the scholarly tradition, not because the knowledge in them is not beneficial, no it is, but the way in which people approach their taking of that knowledge and developing that knowledge and imparting it to others has now become something which does not benefit them because they do it with the eye for the dunya because they're seeking something of this worldly life through that. Imam Ghazali says that if you try and seek gnosis, marifa. Um, real deep knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from argumentation with people then how great will your misfortune be he says how long will you strive and suffer and how great will be your deprivation and loss he says do as you wish for the life that you seek which is the enjoyment and the comfort and the delights and the pleasures and all the fancy frills of this dunya he says that that life that you seek by means of your religion will never submit to you okay so you will constantly be seeking and striving and struggling for those material things those things which are all about how it looks and you'll never attain that because you can't because the the nafs 
and a person's hunger for this dunya is never satiated. You can go and eat a big meal and some hours later you'll be hungry. You'll need to eat again. You can go watch a movie and feel thoroughly entertained but then you'll have a slump after that and you'll feel a bit down. Or you can go and listen to some music or you can go shopping. I mean, what's retail therapy other than making your nafs, your lower self, feel boosted for a short while and happy with your purchases and you bring them home and you look at them and you try them on and you try them with this and necklace and this uh, outfit and shoes and handbag and everything's really beautiful and you're so happy and joyful with what you've bought and then the next day it's just another item which ends up in your cupboard again or you wear it to the wedding and then it's just oh that thing you spend a lot of money on and one of my friends always says that whenever you look in your wardrobe you feel like you haven't got any clothes to wear yet when you do the washing all you do is look at how much laundry you've got how much work it requires to sort things, wash things, hang things, bring them in, fold them, iron them, hang them up again, do what you have to do. So this is all a, a trick of the nafs, which our lower self tells us that I need all these things, but you're never satiated by them. And in fact, it becomes like a burden and a shackle, uh, which ties you down. So Imam Ghazali says that this life that you're seeking, that type of life will never submit to you, while the afterlife, what we're really here to pursue, will slip away from you. And he says that whoever seeks to gain this world by means of his religion will lose them both. Yet whoever gives up this world for his religion will profit from them both. And this is extremely important because we live in a time where it's difficult, people need money, people need to get by and what better thing to allure you than a, a well-paid job in a university where you can sit there and speak disparagingly about our scholars and our tradition where you can try and bring in angles and things and new perspectives which never existed before and you can try and uh, show people a new way to understand Islam, modernize Islam and create a career and build something for yourself and have a, a very safe guarded tenure, have a constant source of income, all the while looking and seeking something of the dunya, but you expose yourself to the risk that you might lose your akhirah and that it will slip away. So to finish, Imam Ghazali says that this is a summary of the guidance you need to reach the beginning of the path in your interaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by carrying out his commands and avoiding what he has prohibited. So by having and establishing and cultivating in yourself the correct adab, the correct way that you base your relationship with your Lord, um, what you base it on and how you set about actually manifesting that through your outer actions guided by your inner state of heart. He says, we will now draw your attention to a short summary of good manners. So this is to do with people. So you can take yourself to account in your relationships with the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your companionship with them in this life. So that's the next section of adab that we are looking at. And that will be the third and final part of the book. Imam Ujawi here uh, mentions a couple of things about adab. But I just want to quote these uh, two poetry lines that he finishes this section with. And he says that some of the people have said, 
وَمَا كُلَّ وَقْتٍ تَرَى مُسْعِفًا فَكُنْ حَافِظًا لِتَرِيقِ الْأَدَبِ تَرَى اللَّهَ يَكْشِفُ مَا قَدْ خَفِي فَتَحْضَى بِأَجْرٍ وَنَيْلِ الرُّتَبِ So it basically means that you won't see that all of your time will help you. So protect your way through it with adab and you will see that Allah unveils what is concealed and you will attain a portion and reward. So you will attain a portion of reward and rank. So adab and arutab. The adab is the good manners, the etiquette, the correct way to conduct yourself and you will naila rutabi. Inshallah, al-ajr, reward and rutab, which is a high rank with him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we will leave this episode on that point, inshallah, and look forward to the next one where we will go into adab, our etiquette with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, may Allah enable us to rectify ourselves, purify our hearts from all these qualities and more which are unbecoming for us as people who wish to seek the countenance of their Lord, who wish to be on the path of the prophetic sunnah, following with complete iqtida, with complete emulation inwardly and outwardly of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all those who came after him who followed him in the right way inshallah we seek to be with them and to have everything that holds us back that keeps us shackled that keeps us prisoners of this dunya we ask Allah to uh, purify us of that and to release us of that lowly way and to enable us to gain true liberation and true freedom through following him and being servants of this path, servants of this religion, inshallah, and servants of our Lord, and to fulfill the purpose that we've been created for. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us with that and uh, to put us in good company, which we shall discuss next time, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa and astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.